You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 23, Starfleet Academy, Second Draft Outline, October 26, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you canonistas. Hey, listen, I know you you lovers of Star Trek history are going to uh, love today's episode. And all of you that appreciate the process, the process that goes into creating Star Trek and creating episodes, uh, the writing process in general. We've got a former, uh, a one time, I should say. You're never a former writer <laughs> from the Next Generation era with us today. So look, you know, go over to our Facebook page and there's our documents. There's our what we call the Trek Files of the week. You can catch it there. Here is an audio sample. So follow along and then come right back. I'll be here with this week's first time very special guest. Suddenly, wham, the shuttle explodes. Lots of fireworks, a tremendous explosion. The Enterprise's deflector shields prevent any damage, a close call. Certainly nothing that could harm the Enterprise in the slightest, and data reports the crew of the shuttle was beamed off the shuttle seconds before the metastable isotopes began to destabilize. Picard asked Data where the rest of the shuttle crew was beamed to. Data answers, unknown captain. On Picard's worried look, we fade out. End of teaser. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, Yes, kids, that's a teaser, not a cold open. (laughs) Cold open has taken over the industry, but that's a term to me. It came out of uh, Saturday Night Live. In the days when Star Trek scripts were a teaser in four acts or a teaser in five acts, there is the opening to the episode that um, actually was called Starfleet Academy at first, but then became what you know as coming of age. And I am so thrilled today to have the uh, the writer, the pitcher, the seller, the writer, and a guy associated with Star Trek a lot in those days. Uh, our guest today, Sandy Freeze. Sandy, thank you for, so much for joining us on The Trek Files. Well, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm delighted to be here and very, very happy to talk with you. And let's go for it. Well, I let's do that. Let's dive in. I, I this is your kind of the climax of your Star Trek work. We can, I, I mean, I hope we have time to get into some of the other things you worked on today, but um, I think it's great that you've been sharing this and putting it together. You've got a book coming, but can you just talk about um, where this is first season of Next Generation, which is um, really kind of a loosey goosey. Well, they have a documentary called Chaos on the Bridge, but can you just talk about how Everything was so individualized and in a, in a time when a show wasn't up and running and they're taking pitches and stories. How did how did you get associated with uh, I, I know you've got a very unique. We were figuring out that you had a very unique approach to, to, to coming to the Star Trek world in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, let me take you through the process. Uh, my agent was also the agent of. Uh, Bob Lewin, who was working on the show, I believe, mm-hmm. as a producer, if my memory's correct. Yes, writer-producer. Uh, uh-huh. Writer-producer. So my agent submitted uh, a script I had written to Bob Lewin. Bob Lewin liked it a lot, and he 
gave it to Gene Roddenberry and Gene Roddenberry said, wow, I like Sandy's script a lot too. And Gene said something that was especially nice. He said, I really like what Sandy does with characterization and character dialogue. So, you know, to me, that was a great compliment because I, I believe characterization is huge in making Star Trek work and making any movie or novel work. So, you know, mm-hmm. Bob, uh, you know, I, I came in to pitch some story ideas. I had lunch at the Paramount uh, dining room, which is a very nice dining room, beautiful, famous people. Oh, boy, the food's even good. How, how great is this? And I pitched about <laughs> the 10 ideas to, to Bob Lewin, and he came back with answers like, oh, yeah, we've got that one going. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's in production. Oh, that's in pre-production. Oh, the third draft of the script is being written for that third one, Sandy. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea, but it's really expensive. So almost everything I pitched was either in pre-production or yeah. production or post-production. And it's like it's like the good news is all your thinking is right in line with what we're doing. The bad news is all of your thinking is what we're already doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. But the good part of that is is the showrunners go, oh, this guy understands our show mm-hmm. and what, what the parameters and, and juice of our show really is. So I, I said, okay, you know, I'll come back for lunch again and I'll pitch some more ideas. And I pitched maybe another 10 ideas. And it was the same kind of thing. Oh yeah, this writer is doing this or this is in pre-production or blah, 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 blah. You know, there were a couple of no's, but almost everything was in the works. So Gene and, and, Bob finally came to the decision, boy, this Sandy knows the show. He's, he's really good with characterization. Uh, let's just hire this guy and get him on staff as a staff writer. So I got a call and said, Sandy, could we hire you as a staff writer and just come on? He said, yeah, sure, that's fine. That would be great. And of course, when I said that, I was doing everything I could possibly do to not say what I was really thinking, which was, yeah, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So, you know, as a low-key, yes, that would, be, that would be fine. I'd like to work there, Mr. <laughs> low-key guy. Uh, and uh, they gave me, Gene gave me one sentence. He, uh, the sentence was, Wesley tries to get into Starfleet Academy. Starfleet Academy. He said, Sandy, could you do that and turn it into a script? And I said, immediately, absolutely. Regardless of what he would have said to me, I would have said absolutely. You know, uh, but I saw I saw the potential for visuals. I saw the potential for interesting conflict. So I said, yes. So they gave me a one sentence idea. I said, yes. They negotiated a contract with my agent and I very happily marched onto the Paramount lot and my parked in my parking spot Had a very nice office with uh, big posters framed beautifully of uh, Captain Kirk and the other original characters on the walls. And the posters were so intimidating to me. Captain Kirk is looking at me, staring at me, saying, Sandy, do brilliant work. I I literally had to take the beautifully framed posters off the wall and turn them around because they were just too intimidating for me. (laughs) Well, now, you know, I'm looking at your here's your IMDb record. You had sold stories. You had worked in in sitcoms. You had done a fame story. I'm looking at your animation here for the Smurfs. I mean, you had kind of you were all over. You were a young writer. And and um, coming out, did a true confessions. So this was it's kind of an emerging career you've got going here. And it was kind of a again, it's networking. You came in through Bob Lewin, it sounds like. Um, 
and and well, well, uh, you know, it, but to jump in, so he none of your pitches were actually ever taken. Gene gave you, is that what you're saying? That is correct. The, yeah, the log line that, for that this. is correct. Yeah. And I really, really like doing many different kinds of uh, writing. You know, I've done animation writing, I've done sci-fi writing, I've done dramatic writing, uh, comedic writing. I've, I've done stand-up writing for stand, you know, for Joan Rivers and other stand-ups. I love doing different kinds of writing because it's it's variety. You know, it's yeah. it's it's fascinating to me that way. The other thing is when I get into a project, uh, let's say I'm writing a dramatic script. By the time I'm end with, ended with that dramatic script, I am so living in it for the four weeks it takes to write it. And I'm so immersed in it that I just, I say, I, I can't take this anymore. I got to get a different format of writing to freshen up now. So I liked switching around a lot. And it is unusual for a writer to be able to switch back and forth and back and forth. So, you know, I switched back and forth from live action to animation uh, to uh, sci-fi to drama. And I came back for a bunch of stuff on Star Trek properties uh, because I uh, also did uh, story editing for the video games for Star Trek. You know, the Borg video games, Starfleet Academy video game with Bill Shatner starring. Uh, I co-wrote a novel for Star Trek. So diversity and variety is good is good stuff for me. Well, I I want to I want to focus here on coming of age. And I, and I know I want to get to that other, too, because it was a aside from what you were doing. This is a really let's remember, this is 1987. It's not the think tank part of Next Generation, but they've actually gotten up and running. I mean, your documents here are all dated from from October. Let's. For one thing, in our documents this week, we've got handwritten pages <laughs> with yeah. red ink. So, so I wanted to ask you, like, what? Then we've got a typed, and we've got some notes back from the uh, incredible Bob Josman, which are a lot of fun. Tell me about this handwritten page business. What was going on there? Oh, uh, the handwritten page business. Okay, uh, and I, I mentioned the handwritten page stuff, and I mentioned some stories about me getting upset at Maury Hurley and me some interesting meetings that I had with Gene Roddenberry in a book I wrote called Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You, which is available on Amazon. It's a great book about behind the scenes stuff at Star Trek and also work I did with Stan Lee, uh, obviously of Marvel. So anybody interested in that stuff, Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You on Amazon. Uh, what the heck is it with the handwriting? I like handwriting better than typing. Uh, several, it's not known, but a lot of uh, TV mm -hmm. writers pr prefer to do handwriting as opposed to typing. So I did the handwriting. I gave it to somebody at Star Trek to type it up. And I like handwriting uh, because I feel more a part of the script. And also, you scratch this word out, you add another word, you scratch that word out, you add another word, scratch this out, do that. When you're done with it, it looks like, boy, I did a lot of work. I feel good about myself. So that's why handwriting. And the handwritten stuff, you, you see some of the handwritten stuff. Um, my handwritten script for Star Trek Next Generation, I'm going to be selling at some point. So you guys will have more information about that oh. when it's available. Okay, that's interesting. I, you know, you mentioned that. I mean, I know the early years, uh, Next Generation DS9, Ira Bear uh, did the same thing. He was a fan of the long yellow legal pad and then uh, had co-writers to, to, you know, that he worked with, but also were 
getting it on the keypad because we do have the notes here of now this is the second draft this is a first draft here um I, I love your red ink though all over this. So let's let's talk about the story. So Gene says do a story about about uh, Wesley, but you had this really complex story where it was about this is the infamous show that set up with the with Dexter Remick, the Inspector General coming aboard and keeping everybody on pins and needles. Uh, Wesley's travail and the the trauma of his psych test and anxiety, and this thing about uh, offering Picard a there's a there, there's an evolution to the story and i know that somebody did a, somebody else did a pass on it after you turned it in but you did an awful lot and and did a complete uh, story draft what did how did you flesh out that idea gene gave you okay gene gave me one sentence wesley right. tries to get in starfleet academy that one sentence has to be turned into an outline a second draft outline a third draft outline a script second draft script etc cetera, etc cetera. That will be shot for $2 million. So approximately that's, and that's a lot of money in those days, these days, not so much, but uh, it's a big complex involved process to take that one sentence and turn it into a production and a script worth $2 million worth of Paramount's money. Uh, what do you do? The first thing I did was said to myself, okay, where are the visuals in this script? So I thought, okay, the visuals could be in the testing, the vis visuals could be in the testing room where there's kinds of explosions going on. Uh, those are the visuals. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I say to myself, what's the kind of moral of the story? What are the themes of the story? Okay, the themes, Wesley has to mess up because at that point, fans were saying, why does Wesley always save the ship? Why does Wesley always perfect? So a big part of that episode was to make Wesley mess up something now and, that, and that's I, pretty early you're yeah, you're, you're yeah the, fan, um, the fans were still complaining wesley's too perfect wesley's too perfect right so i wanted an unperfect wesley and i had to make him fail in a way that he wasn't a horrible guy that he was an okay guy but he failed so that was another element mm -hmm. uh then you have to have an a story a main story a b story a secondary story and in some scripts a c story which is also called a runner uh, so you have to add that. Then you have to make sure all of the actors on the show get good stuff to read and good dialogue because they're all getting paid loads of money and you cannot delete any character for any episode. Occasionally you can, but producers don't like mm -hmm. that. Their attitudes, we're paying them, write stuff for them. So it goes from one sentence to almost like an algebraic equation. I need to add the cool visuals that people love. I need to add the character stuff that people love. I need to add the moral to the story that people respond to. Uh, I need to make sure it's not over budget on in terms of production stuff. At one point I wrote a, a joke page, sent it to Bob Justman, uh, and I had about 300 gorillas attacking the Enterprise with <laughs> phaser type weapons. And Bob Justman, it was a joke. Bob Justman gives me a call. He goes, Sandy, Sandy, do you need 300 gorillas? What about one or two gorillas? I said, Bob, Bob, it requires 300. Otherwise, we're going to blow the whole story. And he, he was trying to convince me to get it down to one or two. And I just started at one point cracking up and telling Bob, it's just a joke. Don't worry about it. And that, of course, never appeared in the uh, episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, not even uh, that. Even a CGI 300 gorilla. Uh, alien army would would well one thing that struck me about reading your story it happens so often is so many 
bits. Now the story got honed, and there were some you know passes done later. I think Hannah Louise shared on their staff at the time did a final pass on you. But you wound up with the with the uh, the sole credit, which is great. But I'm reading your story document, and a lot of the details and the names and the flow. I think you know some of the bits in the arc. We're only we're only doing the teaser in Act One here, but. One thing that was interesting was the original group of cadets taking the test that you had um, instead of uh, instead of, of a Vulcan, you had a Klingon, which was interesting, and a Betasoid. But it was interesting that you had a Klingon and you named him Kronos, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but then we get into Bob's notes where he says, Bob is the one that suggests uh, instead of having a Klingon, let's have a Vulcan so they can be a little bit, uh, a little more grounded. That's interesting to me. Was... Yeah, the Vulcan, the Vulcan thing was, it was a female Vulcan character. And I thought it might be cool to have a little bit of a idea of Wesley getting a crush on a female and the female having interest in Wesley. So, you know, Wesley starting a little love kind of deal going mm-hmm. on there. And there's a little piece that I thought was kind of cool. Uh, where the Vulcan female character says something to the effect of, you know, Wesley, if you weren't so cute, you'd be really irritating. And Wesley talks to Mordock and goes, she, she said I'm cute, but I might be irritating. Is, is that good? Is that good? So I thought that whole thing was kind of fun. And I thought it might possibly be the start of a relationship that plays out in succeeding episodes, but that did not happen. But I thought it yeah. would be, it's, it's called yeah. a love interest in TV writing or movie writing. Yeah. And, well, and a I, Vulcan, why a Vulcan? If Bob Justman wanted a Vulcan, here's a Vulcan. Well, they wound up, you wound up with a human female and a Vulcan female. But I just thought it was interesting that you started off with a Klingon. But one thing that's almost lost in this, this is, and they've been used a couple of times and had a comeback on Lower Decks recently, but... You, it sounds like here, this is the first appearance, and you've got it in your original story draft. The Benzites, the ones who carry around the little uh, atmospheric sniffer tube with them. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you created the Benzites there. I absolutely did create the Benzites, and they went into succeeding episodes. Uh, and the Benzite originally was a, a, a character with lots of tubes going around his head and the body and the whole deal. And Gene said... Uh, Sandy, we're going to have to get rid of the lots of tubes. Uh, it's too expensive. and It's going to be too much of a big deal to create the costume. So we had a little sniff device that was a little box. In the box was a piece of dry ice, and the dry ice made the smoke effect happen. But yes, I came up with the Benzite. There was a Benzite doll and the Benzite group of uh, Benzites, and they were in <laughs> succeeding episodes. Uh, yes, and like I said, they they've turned up uh, uh, more recently here. The uh, speaking of Bob Justman here, the um, the notes are such quintessential. It's like he's got twenty years of age. We know so many of them from original series, and and you know Bob was only on the first season to get it up and going, and he you know he really came out of retirement to help Gene launch Next Generation. But I just had to include these notes so people can see his tone. You're going through all the what you already referred to. We got to cut this for budget. How about this for character? But just his first sentence here, um, he, you can tell just that sense of humor. Sandy's second sortie seems swell, simpler, shorter, sweeter. <laughs> I, I think that was sensational. I, I, I must say it was sensational. <laughs> I'm trying to do alliteration too, 
but I need to think of some more S words. Uh, yeah, Bob was a, a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. He really, really understood every single nuance of that show. And he was a very good writer also. You could tell from the memo that this guy is a, a very good writer with a good sense of whimsy, good sense of humor, but at the same time, a sense of the details and mechanics of what the show needs to make it run properly. Mm-hmm. And he's got the uh, chutzpah here in the middle of his notes to tell a, an old, like, Jewish Adirondacks comedian joke <laughs> to get to his point about how to make a cut on something. Yes. And it's the entertainment the, business. The deli. He's, being, he's being entertaining in his memo. That's terrific. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and the best part is he ends it all up saying, uh, a very good job, Sandy. Now get in there and make it better. Yeah. You know, tap Bob Jessman say I did a very good job. That will stay with me forever because it's such a compliment. You know, to have my mom say I did a very good job doesn't mean too much because she likes anything I do. Tab Bob Justman <laughs> say it, or Gene Roddenberry to say he likes the way I do characterization. That's a huge compliment, and I'll never forget that. One other thing, and I and I uh, I don't know if we had enough time really to get into it, but I can't help but notice that Tack Officer Chang, who is the one administering the test on Relva Seven to to the cadets. Uh, it was an Asian, uh, Earth-based Asian character, uh, as we saw in the film. But your original draft, you named him Akuda. Were you just making an homage there to Mike already out of the gate? Uh, I, Mike would do stuff that's cool for me. I would do stuff that's cool for Mike. You know, Mike made me, I think, an admiral or something and put my name up on the wall mm. in some of the sets, Admiral, admiral Sandy Freeze. So I would make Mike have Mike's, you know, have a character be named Okuda. Mike also wanted a shuttlecraft. He really wanted to play with shuttlecraft set and have a shuttlecraft. So I wrote a shuttlecraft into the episode just for Mike Okuda and Paramount built it. And Mike and I literally played on it. You know, like when they weren't shooting, we made believe we were in the shuttlecraft. There's pictures of that. Uh, and you know, it was like when I was a kid, I literally used to make boxes into spaceships, you know, cardboard boxes. So now I grew up to become an adult and Paramount's paying for my spaceships at about a hundred thousand bucks for that shuttlecraft set. Uh, I was, <laughs> so, you know, Mike would say, Hey Sandy, let's do this. I said, Hey, that's good, Mike. And then Mike would do stuff for me. I do stuff for Mike. And it's, it was kind of fun. It, was very, it wasn't kind of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm still just to, to kind of uh, I've already decided we can't get to everything today, but I do want to come back to your handwritten notes here because I love what it says about the timing and the process here. You, one of your notes to yourself, uh, or you, I think what you told me at one point that you hand wrote, but then handed it off to someone to do your typing for you. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that's where we get this note. Um, please give me a copy of the disc and tell me what entry we're... I mean, you got the practical notes on here, but also I love this. Try to get one type page out of every two handwritten pages. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's something a college student would do. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I thought my script would be a little bit short because I didn't have enough scenes to make it the proper length. So I, I, this is a very stupid thing that I did, and I, it's nothing I'm happy with, but in retrospect, it's kind of funny and goofy. I wanted the typist to make it look long 
so that nobody would come back and say, Sandy, you don't have enough pages. Now, was that a stupid thing to do? Absolutely. Did I do it? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, I mean, yes, that is funny. You're stretching your report to match the teacher or the professor's minimum yeah, there. Exactly. But it also, it's an insight, though, into how uh, at the time, because we were converting over from people handwriting to typing and using, I mean, that was a very pivotal, Star Trek Next Generation came along when the idea of how writers and writer's assistants and the script coordinator, how they all work together. And, and you know, were you their staffer? And then if you were a freelancer coming in from the outside, how all of that worked. And in, in one page, we've kind of, you're, you're laughing about and quasi embarrassed there about stretching it. But on the other hand, it really is kind of a nice snapshot into, um, you know, the world changing there. It's kind of funny in that, you know, staff writer on Star Trek Next Generation, one of the coolest shows in the history of TV shows, would still do goofy, dumb things occasionally, like, hey, please make it look long, <laughs> you know, which is a ridiculous thing. Well, listen, Sandy, you were there at a very special time, the roots of the show, but but after it had gotten up and running, I'd love for you to come back and maybe we can talk about more of the, the broader experience you had at Star Trek. Could you do that? This has been a, a treat, though, talking about coming of age. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be delighted to do that. I really enjoyed talking with you and questions were great and I'd be happy to come back. Uh, okay. And the name of your book once more that's out there is? Uh, it's called Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You. It's available on Amazon. It's an ebook. Uh, it's a quick read. It's really amazing stuff about behind the scenes Star Trek stuff and Marvel stuff, stuff you have never heard about Gene Roddenberry, Maury Hurley, and me arguing with Maury, Maury Hurley and using the four letter word when I argued with Maury Hurley. Right. Secret Your Textbook Will Not Tell You on Amazon. Maury Hurley being the showrunner before uh, Michael Pillar. Anyway, thanks again so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Hey, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, that's me at larrynimacek.com. Now, that's where you can link in, too, for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop as well. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.